The Athletic. Hello everybody and welcome to an emergency podcast for The View from the Lane, the Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. Joining me, your host Danny Kelly, are The Athletic's James Moore and back for a very special appearance and it is great to see him. Um, Jack Pitt-Brook, sad that we've had to meet in these circumstances, but hello everybody. Um, Look, we it's an end of an era. Harry Kane has gone. Um... We will get stuck into it in, in, in a way that we started to, the ramifications for the club and for Enoch and Daniel Levy and all the rest of it. But I think we need to pay proper tribute to arguably Spurs' best player of modern times, maybe of all time. And we'll do that in just a few minutes' time. But I was really interested when Jack, who, let's be frank, is on paternity leave and so has done us a real favour here um, by coming on. We wanted to get a view from somebody who knows the Spurs without being quite as emotionally entangled as James and I. Um, so, Jack, of course, uh, I say great. Thank you for being there. And if we, if you have to run off because the baby monitor goes off, we'll totally understand that as well. You've been away for a few weeks, watching from a distance. What does this seem like? And what do you make of this transfer of Harry Kane to Bayern Munich? Thanks, Danny. It's great to be back. Um, I think m- primarily I feel a bit sad that he's leaving. It's been an immense privilege to watch and cover Kane. Uh, I think I've seen can't remember if I was there for his debut. I'm sure I was there for his first Premier League goal. Um, and see this amazing, you know, f- from this amazing arc that he's had from being just basically just another kid from the academy, you know, not didn't especially stand out back in the, you know, we're going all the way back to the Harry Redknapp ABB days here, into being, like you said, Spurs' arguably Spurs' greatest player of the modern era, 280 goals for the club. And, uh, you know, getting to watch him up close week every week is a huge privilege and something and it will be it will feel very different um without him and uh you know it hasn't really sunk in for me and I'm sure lots of fans will be feeling this you know tenfold that that all said I think this is probably the right move for him right now uh I think clearly Tottenham have not Tottenham have not been very good really in the last few years and when you're not very good, it's difficult to keep your best players. You know, Kane. What? So Kane, Kane signed that six-year contract in twenty in the summer of 2018. Since then, Spurs have come fourth, sixth, seventh, fourth, and eighth. With the exception of that sort of six-month spell under Antonio Conte, they've basically been average and getting worse. I think it's fair to say over the course of that time span. During that time span, Harry Kane scored 140 goals for Tottenham. That's half of his haul for Spurs since he signed that last that last deal. And so, you know, we've all known for the last... It's kind of been pretty clear, I think, for at least the last two, probably in private the last three years, that Kane has had an art, has been interested in going to go and play for a team who did routinely challenge for and win the biggest trophies. Um, he's this. He didn't go about it the right way last time and it blew up in his face. But he got on with it and played very well and played fantastically well for the two years since then. Yeah, he was superb last year. I mean, we, under the radar on a terrible team, he was superb. 
It's brilliant. And th- this summer, I think he, him and his camp have gone about it the right way. And I think this is, uh, you know, as sad as it is to see him go, and I will miss him very much, and fans will miss him even more, I think this is probably the, this feels to me like probably the right outcome. Is the money irrelevant? If Spurs had got an extra 20 million or 20 million less, does it matter? Uh, I think it matters to Daniel Levy. I don't think that, I think that Daniel Levy is very good at selling He's very good at selling good players who big teams want. You know, that's that that is that's something we've seen for a lot. You know, Ber- Berbatov to Man United, Modric to Real Madrid. I actually think they probably could have got more for him looking back. Bale to Real Madrid, Carl Walker to Manchester City. Like he's really he's good at these kind of deals where he feels like he's got the cards and he's in control. And actually I think the, the deal that he's got is a very good deal for Spurs in the circumstances of having, you know, this it it feels like a kind of pre-COVID deal you know teams don't really in the last few years teams haven't paid big money for 30 year olds with not a lot of contract time left so I do think it's a good deal for Spurs and I don't think it would have happened if if Bayern had been as kind of half-assed as Manchester City were two years ago. Well let me move on to James then Um, we've had 24 hours to digest not the news um, but the reality of it James Um, how are you feeling now have you lifted your chin from your chest? (laughs) <laughs> no, no, not really. I mean, if anything, I probably feel slightly worse. Oh, I'm sorry I called you Mary Poppins yesterday. There was no yeah, need yeah, for thanks. that. I've enjoyed all the tweets about that. Kicking a man when he was down. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, there was a real moment last night where uh, I was on like the athletic slack and David Ornstein was like breaking the story and we were preparing the tweet that was going to go out on the athletic account and whatever else. And I was, but then the reality of it really hit me. And I don't think I was, I don't think I was one of these people that had kind of convinced himself that he was going to say, even yesterday when. Um, uh, you know, there were noises that he might have been having second thoughts, so there were some kind of complications. Uh, but yeah, the, the, when you see those words, you know, he's he's agreed a contract, the, the club have accepted an offer. It's pretty much all there, isn't it? Um, yeah, I, it is. I felt a real sort of emotional attachment to Harry Kane over the last like decade for a few different reasons. Um, and, and I know a lot of Spurs fans feel the same. I mean, I would say I probably should be too old to be upset when a player leaves a football club. Uh, and I thought, I, I don't remember being especially moved when Bale left. I'm, I'm not sure whether rather he stayed than left. But, you know, I, I can't really think back. Uh, Sheringham or someone like that was the last one, maybe. And I was really upset. Uh, but yeah, I feel like it really has sort of knocked the wind out of me a bit. You know, that feeling of feeling really like almost literally deflated. That's kind of I was like laying on laying on my bed with my phone in my hand in the dark last night, um, just looking at just looking at David Ornstein's Slack messages. Uh, he's a lovely guy, David, but he really ruined my evening. Um, yeah, I was I was very very deflated by that, and uh, it's gonna be. I, I mean, in a way, look, obviously, it's absolutely dreadful that it's happened so near the start of the season. But in a way, I think it's quite good that we go immediately into a proper game. I, I think I just, just need that, like, two o'clock on Sunday to come now and just to kind of get on with it. I mean, people who heard the podcast yesterday, uh, Jack, will know I was, you know, surprise, surprise, I was really emotional, um, lashing out in many, many different directions, including James's. Um, and Ange Postacoglu. You need to you need to offer an apology to Ange, I think. Um, well, I, I don't know. I still w- worry that he knew this was coming um, and, and has just sat there and gone along with it for the sake of having a great job. I want to see more backbone out of people, but 
you know, uh, he, he's there, he's there, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna um, get behind him as best I can. And you know, oh, I'm gonna get behind him because that's what we've got. Um, as regards to myself, uh, you know, I was very, very emotional about it yesterday. I do have it, and again, I'm a bit further down life's line than than you are, uh, James. And I take your point that you know we, I should be grown out of this, and that's why I did. You know, the sun always rises the next day, um, and personal tragedy interferes with that. But this is football after all. Um, and my my thing now, and I'm going to do it in the rest of this podcast, is because we're not going to get a chance to to cheer and wave and shout his name. Although it should be noted. Um, that Spurs forwards have a real track record of coming back for a second go. Hello, Robbie Keane. Hello, Teddy. Hello, Gareth Bale. Um, we won't get a, necessarily get a chance to see him off, and I want to make sure that the podcast at least marks his departure with you know a proper round of applause and a proper send off for a bloke who is, to use the overused phrase, a, a legend. I'm a bit more upward today, only because what is the what is the options? Um, I can. Uh, and we'll get, we, you know, we will as he's gone. We'll see how th- this affects the relationship between the fan base and Daniel Levy and Enoch and all the rest of it. And we'll report on that and we'll be involved in that, of course. But right now, he's going, we have to get on with it. Um, we'll see whether they spend the money on strikers or rely on Richarlison and all the rest of it. Well, let me ask you then, given that I say I am forcing myself to, because I say the sun rises um, to look forward, Jack, again, um, I don't want to make out you're you're not involved here, but removing yourself from the emotion. And yes, and I do apologize to Andrew Postacoglu. If I was being unnecessarily harsh on him, I totally there's no need for that. I was, but I really was looking for anybody to blame yesterday, anybody, and that included James Moore, who has got no control over this thing all at all. Where do Spurs go from here, Jack? And I mean, in the immediate future, you know, how do they regroup as a group? Because they, th- th- for them, the sun is rising at Brentford in, in less than 48 hours? Yeah, it's a good question. I think there's a few different things they can do. I think the first thing is they've got to replace goals and assists in the team. Uh, I think that, yeah, this puts a lot of pressure on Son, Richarlison, the new signings, even Madison, I think is now, you know, a hugely important player for Spurs. The second thing is leadership. You know, they've lost Lloris, Kane, um, Dyer's going into his last year. We don't know about Hoiberg. You know, it's kind of there's a bit of a leadership group transition going on too, and so lots of the lots of the younger players, and again, Madison is part of this too, will have to step up, I think, and assume more more leadership capacity. The third thing really is they have to. In fact, this is this, and this is kind of why I'm, I think the timing actually works is that this is a clean slate moment anyway. Even because they, you know, the last few years have been so bad. They've got a completely different type of coach this year. They're going to be playing a different style of football this season, and hopefully, for the next few seasons. You know, this, you know, these clean slate moments don't come along that often. And if you're going to have one, I think you might as well, you might as well change as much as you need to, as you can change right now, rather than trying to do one year of Ange with Kane and then next summer you've got another transitional summer because Kane is leaving on a free or whatever so I think it kind of makes sense to do all the changes now really uh or in, in part because if thing if it's bad this season I think it might be bad you can say well you know it was tough wasn't it because a new manager new style of play transfers losing Kane all the rest of it so I actually I don't think the timing is that bad but I do think that this as like I said as well as there being a lot of responsibility on the players to step up I think everybody 
I think everybody has to rally around the new manager and the ideas of the new manager. And that means both the dressing room and the fan base have to move on and rebuild and reinvest around Postacoglu because that's really, you know, it becomes, I think it weirdly, it becomes even more important that he should, he should succeed now. Is there any comfort in any of that for you, James? Or let me get your view on how, you know, they've got a game, as I say, in two days' time. What do you, what do you, how do you feel they, they need to, to puff their chest out and, and start to, re, to, to use Jack's phrase, rebuild? Though I'm always very, sorry, James, I'm very suspicious of the word rebuild. Um, I think the Premier League doesn't allow for rebuilds anymore. You've got your, your team and you've got the season ahead of you. The idea of, um, although, you know, People say that Arsenal did well, you know. Look, you can only rebuild when things have gone wrong, right? You should be like constantly evolving. If you're rebuilding, it's like an acknowledgement that yes, you've that kind of made a mess of that evolution. Um, I mean, yeah, like I said, I think it's good to have the game on, on Sunday. And like Jack says, uh, in a way, it's kind of a good time for it. Uh, and from a tactical perspective, obviously, we know Postacoglu's system probably suits like a more sort of fluid front three than you would usually have if Kane was in a team. And again, this is not to suggest that it will be better without Kane, but purely in terms of the alignment of those two things, Kane leaving and a manager coming in who will play this system, actually the transition to kind of post-Kane life may be slightly more smooth with a front three of Son, Richarlison, Kulisevsky, you would assume, uh, on Sunday. Uh, So yeah, I... I don't know. I mean, I think I was incredibly positive about how well Spurs would do this season, or certainly in comparison to you, um, on yesterday's podcast. And I, I mean, I think it might be one of those things where the whole thing is determined by how they start. Like, I think if they get a good result on Sunday, I kind of think they might ride it out relatively well. But if if they start slowly and, you know, lose at Brentford, lose to Manchester United, you get into the last week of the window, are they going to panic and do something crazy is that actually going to prove to be good or bad? Uh, suddenly the whole thing can kind of unravel incredibly quickly. So yeah, look, I, I, you know, there's three weeks of a transfer window. I don't think the squad as it is on paper now, and obviously there are a few things that need to be ironed out and, you know, Van der Ven uh, needs to actually train with the players more than a couple of times. Uh, I don't think it's in dreadful shape. Whether or not, it, it, maybe it's actually more balanced than it has been in the last few years. Uh, that's not to say it's better overall, but I think... You look at that group of players and you can see more of a sense of who plays where and who's going to do what. And there are obviously too many players and some are going to have to go in the next three weeks. But I don't, I'm not looking at that group of players and thinking it's a complete mess without Harry Kane. Like it does all kind of, I think it's like a coherent structure to the group. It's just going to be a case of like ditching a couple of the fullbacks and maybe signing another centre-half and... Uh, Maybe another forward player somehow. Praying that Benton Kerr comes back as uh, as good a player as he was um, before he got hurt. Now I'm sure that we'd hope that anyway, regardless of the circumstances. We're also hoping that Son's form, bad form from last season, was either just a blip or to do with you know wasn't was maybe incompatibility with some of Conte's methods. Maybe used the wrong way on the pitch. Certainly coming short for the ball, carrying an injury. Carrying an injury, yeah, obviously played through injury, which has only just got it's got sorted now. I don't really know what Son is going to be like next season. I think it would be silly to guess. But if he's if he's the Son of last season, then Spurs aren't going to score enough goals. But if he's the Son of basically every season before last season, then you know Spurs are back in business, arguably because Son is you know Son is obviously 
obviously capable of being such a brilliant player for this team. So that I think becomes an even that becomes an even bigger and more important question mark over over this forthcoming season. I mean, look, that is the reality, isn't it? Like, and I'm not saying Spurs are not going to miss Kane, but they do have in their squad the Premier League's top scorer, uh, top scorer from the season before last, and uh, Brazil's number nine, a, a competent and regular Premier League goal scorer. So it's not, you know, it's not a complete shambles as it is. No, it's it's not quite Fraser Campbell coming in at the last minute, which, which uh, for, for which <laughs> yeah, exactly. let's be very very thankful. Okay, listen, thank you for your thoughts on that. Um, because we're trying to keep this podcast, it's an emergency podcast, we're trying to keep it down to a reasonable length. What I'd really like to do now is to just move on um, to Harry Kane and what he's done and, and what he's been for Spurs. Not in a miserable and he's gone now way, but you know when this is all done and dusted. And of course, the ramifications, as I say, between the, the fans and, and, and the club, I suspect will last much longer. But it would be wrong uh, since we can't applaud him to the rafters off the pitch it would be wrong not, not to recognise what a great person he's been I, I, so James why don't I start with you You've, what, I mean, uh, between you you've seen most of his games either in per, pretty much in person um, what are your standout memories and I, I, I accept that some of this is going to be repeating what we said after he broke Jimmy Greaves's um, all time goal scoring record but now there's a full stop uh, behind his career at Spurs what are your, what are your, your standout moments for him yeah, I mean, there obviously there are, are so many. Um, I mean, like I said before, I've kind of felt personally invested, and he his kind of career trajectory at Spurs has felt like the kind of narrative thread through the whole club over the last decade. It's kind of felt like everything has more or less been built around that, um, and his rise, not uncoincidentally, did kind of align with uh, Tottenham's rise to kind of being a competitive team at the top of the Premier League and in the Champions League. Uh, so yeah, look, I mean, there, there are so many obvious ones, and I'm sure we talked about these a few months ago. But the two goals against Arsenal in 2015—I uh, uh, mean, actually, what a good one for me was uh, thinking he had scored in a Bernabeu and he actually hadn't. I actually saw some reporting on that quite recently. Thinks that a piece that said he had scored, but it was an own goal by Varane. But I was in the away end at the Bernabeu, uh, and it looked like he had put Spurs at one 0 up in the Bernabeu, and everyone's going absolutely mental. And unfortunately, it was an own goal, but I still kind of cherish that memory and pretend pretend Harry Kane scored in the Bernabeu. It's fine, um, but like a more personal one would be uh, the a game at Palace in 2018, which uh, so February 2018, which probably to many people won't really stand out, but to me. It was the game after my mum had died in the midweek and I had kind of sort of told myself I wouldn't watch the game and I wasn't kind of ready to start watching a Tottenham game again. So my mum was the person who got me into Tottenham and I used to go to games with like a few years before that. Um, and I was completely blindsided by that and I thought I wasn't at all ready to watch a game again. And it was a comp- and eventually like maybe 10 minutes before kickoff, I decided to find like, I will watch it. I'll just sit there and watch it and not enjoy it, which some people may say is how I normally watch a game. And it was an awful game and I just sat there really miserable, obviously. Uh, and then Harry Kane scored this quite crap-headed goal from a corner in the 88th minute. Like an Ericsson corner across the box and Kane kind of headed through. I think it was Hennessy, like got a touch on it and it sent it over the defenders. A really scrappy goal. But it was like the, the first moment I had been happy since that had happened kind of four or five days earlier. And it really gave me a sense of... One, the reliability of Harry Kane making you feel happy on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon and that feeling like an incredibly routine thing over the last decade. And two, like the idea that 
there will always be football. You can always go back to football. There is like a cut. That's like a crutch that you can always go back to. It'll always be there in your life. So yeah, that was that was like a real. That's one that I think about a lot because in a real like absolutely shit week for me. Even then, Harry Kane was kind of able to, uh, yeah, uh, you know, put it, put it out of the bag. I mean that that is amazing, James, and thank you for that. And I, I guess this is one thing I, I I don't know if the people who run football realise um, how much that thread runs through our lives. Of course, it's more important what happened to you and your mum, but the very fact that the football can distract you from that, or once again remind you of the link the two of you had through football. Um, this happens again and again and again if you talk to people about their football experiences. They're not just people who bowl up, pay their hundred quid for the match ticket um, and get entertained or not entertained. It has a much more important kind of marbling effect in our lives. Um, Jack, you, I mean, let me ask you a question because here's somebody who I've never met, Harry Kane even. Um, and yeah, I feel I've got this incredibly close relationship with him. Have you met him? And uh, what are your best memories of, 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 of his time at Spurs? Uh, yeah, yeah, I, you know, I've met him. I've interviewed him. What, one of the things I like about Kane is that he's kind of there's no. I don't think there there's no hidden sides to him. Some very famous people, there's a lot of facade or front, or they're you know one person on camera and a different person off camera, all the, all that kind of stuff that goes along with celebrity. But I've always found with Harry, I don't think he really cares about being a celebrity. He's he's actually very private. Uh, relative to how how famous and how good he is he doesn't have that kind of like that kind of Beckham aura at all really Kane uh he's just I mean he just is what he is what he appears to be really which is that he's very dedicated very focused incredibly hardworking, very you know cares a lot about his family he's got a few other hobbies apart from that loves his golf NFL uh, a bit of cricket it's like you're reading his Twitter bio yeah, he's well, pretty much, yeah, uh, and that is who he is. Um, so I, I, I really like him, and I really admire the amazing. I admire him as a footballer, and I also admire the career that he's built for himself because he, you know he's not he's an incredibly talented footballer, but it's not like he's born with kind of messy like gifts. Um, in terms of moments that stand out to me, uh, it's an obvious one, but the one that I think I will always remember first is March 2016, goal against Arsenal to put Tottenham 2-1 up, cutting in from the left, whipping it to the far corner. And it's kind of tinged with a little bit of sadness because when it went in, everybody in the ground thought Spurs are winning the game and winning the league, which of course they didn't do. They should have done, but they didn't. Um, but that was, I mean, you, you watch that goal and you think, wow, I am right, in, I am... I have a front row seat at a phenomenal event here. This is quite something. So that was good. The header the previous season, February 2015, against also to win the game against Arsenal at the old White Hart Lane. You know, kind of, we, I've talked about it a million times. It's one of my favourite goals ever. Kind of running backwards, jumping up, ball goes back over the keeper. Um, so those two stand out. Winning the game in Dortmund 2019, simply because Kane didn't really have a big, role in Tottenham's run for the ch- run to the Champions League final in 2019. I feel a bit sad for him actually because he's kind of he wasn't there at the at the big moments Ajax and Man City away. He won them that game in the group the PS- when they were going to go out. He did. Yeah, yeah. Games, right? he that won was that great. Game at the end against PSG. But uh you know they were they were getting battered at Dortmund even though they won the first leg. And you know there's kind of game where they conceded once that I think Dortmund could easily have come back into it. But then I think it was the start of the second half or the end of the first half Sissoko put Kane through and then, you know, Spurs barely had a touch of the ball in the first half. And Kane just, classic Kane style, buries it. 
and um, Spurs hats, you know, Spurs, and at that point, Spurs are through into the quarterfinals. And I think that the Dortmund tie gets a bit forgotten just because the City and Ajax games were so huge. Um, so those stand out. Uh, more recently, I mean, the, just the quality, the sheer quality of the goals. Even though he hasn't, he hasn't sadly because Tottenham have been so bad, he hasn't actually scored any massive, massive goals in the last four years. I mean, I guess you know, there's our. Arsenal under Conte at home that was big at the end of the of the you know back when Spurs were good under Conte but um most he's got some incredibly high quality goals which kind of got forgotten about um Leicester City away 2019 with falling over volleys it into the ground Crystal Palace at home under Jose in 2021 where he kind of whips the ball into the far corner and it's sort of weird type of finish Fulham away last I think it was last season just before Conte got ill you know he kind of whips uh, he sort of spins on the edge of the box and whips the ball into the bottom corner um and so many yeah so many incredible bits of technique and imagine improvisation and precision and yeah I just think he is a a wonderful player and if I do have a bit of sadness about Kane leaving it's that he doesn't have I mean obviously we can all you know we can sit here all day and list our favorite Harry Kane goals and maybe we should do but his signature moments such as they are and they're you know he's got 280 goals for Tottenham many of them brilliant brilliant goals uh they're not really connected to Tottenham winning stuff and I, and I hate to do the whole trophy thing because I know that's not the point of this podcast I know that people say you know there's more to football than that and there is more to football than that but I kind of wish for Kane's sake that we were talking about do you remember that goal he scored in the in the final or do you remember that goal that put Spurs in the final but sadly for all sorts of reasons I think he's been very unlucky that you know he was clearly clearly wasn't fit in the 2019 Champions League final wasn't fit in the 2021 League Cup final um not really, you know, various other sort of semis and finals that Spurs have been in. It's not quite clicked for him for whatever reason. And so I just, if I had one regret about Kane's career at Tottenham, it's that we're not, it's that none of these great goals happen in a final. We're not talking about, do you remember the Kane final or that hat-trick at Wembley to win Spurs, the, uh, you know, the League Cup or the FA Cup or, or, or whatever. But um, but yeah, he's still, his body of work, even despite that, his body of work is still... Uh, unmatchable and untouchable. And of course, you're, you're absolutely right. But of course, he just might be one of those blokes who are a bit unlucky, you know, if he had squared the ball in the World Cup before last, if he had not missed the penalty, everyone misses penalties. Uh, he chooses a very bad moment against France to miss a penalty. And, 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 and that's all I'm making the point is that by going to Bayern Munich, he's taken the, um, I might be a bit of an unlucky bloke out of the equation, at least at football. Uh, he's taken it out of the equation because they don't need luck, do they? They will win what they're going to win huh. every year. You say that, but imagine what people will be saying if Bayern don't win the league next season, or this season, I should say. I mean, now, look how close they were to not winning it last season. They threw it away last year almost. You're absolutely right. I mean, I guess for me, um, first of all, on a podcast that uh, prides itself on on the, on the moments where it gets things right, I myself um, lag very far behind in the States compared to Charlie and James and Jack. I often get things wrong. Um, but I was right about Kane when he first got in and around the Spurs team to the point where in my early days on Twitter, I was berating Maurizio Pochettino, who I had no other problem with for his continued picking of Emmanuel Adebayo over the young Harry Kane. Because it was obvious to anyone with an eye in their head that Kane was already, as he was coming back from his loan periods and starting to play in the League Cup games and the European games, a better player than Adebayo. And his ceiling might be, you couldn't tell, of course, might be much, much higher. Um, I guess I've, I've loved watching him because he improves and improves and improves. The move from 10 to 9-10, um, 
I don't think many people have done that because centre forward has become such a specialist position. It's only a really amazing player who can say, well, okay, I won't be the centre forward. I'll be the centre forward and the 10 as well, which was fantastic. And just tiny things. In the last few years, the number of goals he's got creeping in at the far post from corners and set pieces that he didn't do previously because he, was, he thought he had to be the one who attacked the ball. And he started to just attack the space. Shows that he was learning and learning all the time. The other thing that, you know, and I don't want to replicate all those great goals that you talked about. So many of them come away from home. And as I always say about football teams and individual football players, what you do at home when you've got 30, 40, 50, 62,000 people cheering you on is one thing. What you do when everybody wants you to mess up, what you do away from home is, I think, a real litmus test. And if you look at strikers have got, let's say, over 100 goals in, in the top level of English football, I think Kane... I don't know this stat, but I'd be amazed if he wasn't the leader, percentage-wise, at scoring away from his home ground, which only goes to show how naturally brilliant he was at it. He didn't matter. I mean, people talk about ice cold and all the rest of it, and no one ever talks about the, cl his, the clinical nature of his finishing, but that's what it is, because it doesn't matter where it is. If the chance comes, he does it. And again, as, as Jack was pointing out, in a team that has been for the last five years in decline, to carry on scoring goals away from home in, a, in, a, in an increasingly average team. Extraordinary, extraordinary. I love the fact that he was one of the lads. Um, it just seems like a very good bloke. As you say, Jack, you've met him. There's no side to him and all the rest of it. And I guess finally I'd say, as I kind of went into a rant the other day about, um, at times it has been very difficult to be a Spurs fan in recent years. From that peak of the title challenge and then the, Champions League final, there's not been much to make you say, you know what, I love this white shirt and kiss the badge. Um, but all the time Harry Kane was there, he gave you, and this is important in life sometimes when, you know, the mundanity of things, the prosaic things that get us down and that chip away at the edges of our enjoyment as adults, you know, and we all have responsibilities, I get that. But you need something to be proud of, something that you're connected with you're proud of sometimes people it's a band and sometimes it's away from their family and sometimes it's an area they live in and sometimes it's something else and for me for the past decade harry kane has allowed me to be a proud spurs fan and that been that's been a great great feeling and if he was here today in this room that's what i would do i'd walk forward shake his hand and say look best of luck in bayern munich i mean I'm, I'm, i didn't want you to go but best of luck once you get there and thank you for giving me something that allowed me to hold my head up in the stupid world of football fandom for the past decade. And now I await who can come along and let me do that again. The Athletic.